0: Love is a many-splendored thing. Love lifts us up where we belong. All we need is love, right? For anyone who's a fan of the movie Moulin Rouge, you know Ewan McGregor's plea to Nicole Kidman to stay with him as he goes through the variety of, of pop songs that have attempted to define this extremely abstract concept. And there's certainly no chance that I'm going to do that for you today either. But it is interesting to think about what the Bible says, about what God has said to the people who wrote down Holy Writ, what it has to do with you and me today. The context of this passage is kind of strange. Normally, it's read on Maundy Thursday. This is the upper room scene, right? This is John's version of the Last Supper. And the first thing that happens is they walk in, and Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. And that really makes Peter mad. He says, no, 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 you're the leader. You don't go washing our feet. I won't let you touch anything. To which Jesus responds, you don't get it. My job, the job of the Son of Man, is to seek to serve and not to be served which then Peter swings the pendulum and says, well, don't just wash my feet, wash my whole body, wash everything, Lord Jesus. Jesus then talks to Judas. We find out that Judas is the perpetrator of some of the sins of finances happening in the back door, and Judas leaves, we're told. And right following that, we have our mandatum, which is Latin, usually translated in our language, mandi. It's a commandment. It says this new commandment I give you to love one another as I have loved you. Seems rather simple, right? But it's not in Jesus' context because at the time, people were very concerned about the Messiah coming and there was a very specific way that was supposed to happen. According to the Pharisees, if the people of Israel could spend one Sabbath day, just one, obeying every single mitzvah, every single law, every single rule written in the Torah, then the Messiah was going to come back and save them from the deadly reign of the Roman Empire. No more outrageous taxation. No more violence and pillage from an unwanted foreign country. Finally, the peace and the sovereignty of the Israelites. That's the kind of Messiah they're looking for. The treatment of other human beings, on the other hand, kind of slips under the radar. And so we have scenes in the Gospels of Jesus talking to the Pharisees and he's healing people. Can you believe it? On the Sabbath day, this guy just doesn't know how to follow the rules. Pharisees say, Look at Jesus, we've got a plan here. And the plan is that we follow all 615 of the mitzvah on one day, we're going to have a Messiah on our hands. So please stop screwing this up. Jesus helps remind them that the Sabbath was made for humanity and not humanity for the Sabbath. That these laws and these rules are not perfection, but a guide. On the way to love, and to prove that there is no one law, no one rule that would ever complete that love, God gives us Jesus, a person, a contextual anomaly that we've spent the last couple thousand years trying to understand and to grasp, and the best word we ever have for that is usually love. But love is messy even if it is a many-splendored thing. A wonderful Christian blogger, Nancy Rockwell, writes this on Pathios this week. She says, It's harder for me to read the story of this meal than to read the gory details of the crucifixion, because Jesus is the only person I know who's ever been crucified. But I've sat through plenty of painful family meals. I've been awkward as the disciples were, with the intimacy offered at a time of tension and foreboding. I've lived long enough to know what Jesus knew, that the ones who walk out angry may never forgive or ever come back, and you can't stop them. The love Jesus offers and urges us all through the evening is transcendent and intimate, a powerful blessing. John tells us that in it, Jesus is trying to address the tension that hangs in the air. When he begins to wash their feet, wanting to touch them, Peter balks, murmuring protest, uneasy, and when he assures them that this is for love, then Peter asks to be bathed, hands and feet, over and under sharing. It's the awkward dance of intimacy we all do in tense times, especially around family tables. And if we're honest, it's the awkward dance that you and I try to play out in this wonderful thing we have called church. The dance of love. The dance where we're called to love one another, invite everybody in, but to what extent? Churches across the country have talked about being welcoming. And so they bring in guitars and praise bands and drums, and that works. But then sometimes in the act of welcoming love, sometimes that leaves other people out, right? Other churches seek to be welcoming by making sure that all children are welcome at any time during worship, which is always true here. And then sometimes you get what happened with my child today at 9-15, got a pipe cleaner in his eye, and that was it. <laughs> time was done. He was ready to scream the whole time. Luckily, we have another way of welcoming called Sue Martin <laughs> and the blessing of our Sunday school classrooms and our teachers. Love is a many-splendored thing, but it's messy, and it's sticky, and it's complicated, and it's caused a mess as long as there's ever been the church. So what do we do with this tension? Jesus has called us to it. God came in Jesus to show us the way. How do we figure out the path forward? I stand here, not as one who's figured it out, but as one who's realized when certain things don't work. I appreciate what the Bible does with figuring out the word love, because in Greek we have different words for love. And in a sense, fragmenting the word helps us to understand the aspects of it a little bit better. You've probably heard this sermon many times before. Of course, there's philia, love, like Philadelphia, that brotherly love, the relational kind of love for friends and those sorts of family members. Then you have eros, love. And most of us get that kind of love, right? This is the kind of love that's just really about butterflies and pheromones. That's eros, love. It's the kind of love shown on this interesting ad taken out in a newspaper a long time ago. The ad reads, Matrimonial. A young unmarried cavalry officer intends to serve his country till, quote, this cruel war is over, desires, should he be slain during the war, to leave an heir to his name and inheritance. He therefore wishes to open correspondence with a view to matrimony with a patriotic young lady of intelligence, accomplishments, common sense, etc. Address, 19th Street, New York Calvary, Manassas Junction, Virginia. We get eros, love. But then the next kind is the most difficult one. But of course, it's the one the Bible uses the most. Agape, love. Unconditional. And the difference between this and the other love, is so that with philia, you have the object of the other, the family and the friend. And with eros, you have the object of the one you love, But with agape love, it is, in theory, love for the sake of love. Love because love matters in and of itself, ontologically. Loving someone else because they were created in the image of God. Because they matter in value in and of themselves, not because of some utility that you can withdraw from them. Agape love doesn't need a reason or an impetus. It's not a response to someone else's love. It's just love for love's sake. It's a difficult kind of love, to be sure. It's a love we have not yet figured out, but it's a love we see in Jesus, the God who comes to us, who gives, and who serves and gets nothing in return. Who dies and rises again and promotes new life, even though there's nothing in it for God. As I told the confirmation students a couple weeks ago, the best explanation I have for God's love at all is this understanding of the Trinity. And the Trinity is beginning before there is time, its internal dance of love, creator, redeemer, and sustainer, Father, Son, and Spirit. And at one point, this eternal dance of love says, this love is amazing. There's room for more. And thus, the heavens and the earth come out of the deep, deep darkness. Love is a many-splendored thing. Love lifts us up where we belong. There's a story about a boyfriend who showed this kind of agape love. When doctors said there was nothing more they could do for his girlfriend, Emile Gosset, her boyfriend was determined to prove them wrong. See, a month before, the 21-year-old art student had been hit by an 18-wheel semi-trailer while she was riding her bike in Brooklyn, New York. She was rushed to Bellevue Hospital with multiple fractures to her head, Her pelvis and her left leg, she suffered a stroke. Her heart had stopped for a minute on the operating table. Now, doctors said there was nothing they could do for a meal. (coughs) But their boyfriend proved them wrong. Her chances of survival were grim. Her mother had been told by a nurse that her daughter was gone and they asked about organ donations the second day after the accident. And five weeks later, she became stable, and doctors said that Ms. Gose was not cognitively ready for rehabilitative treatment. She should be transferred to a long-term nursing home in her native New Orleans instead. But her boyfriend, Alan, refused to give her up without a fight. They had met at a Colorado summer camp as high school students, And then again at Cooper Union School of Art. And then they got together. After the accident, Alan sat his girlfriend's bedside night every night trying to figure out how to have her respond. She wouldn't respond to sounds. She wouldn't respond to anything they could do. She'd been born deaf. And so eventually, Alan did some research. He researched Helen Keller and deaf and blind skills about how people learned how to communicate with those who could not hear. He found out that Helen Keller's teacher, Miss Sullivan, would use her finger to spell words on Miss Keller's palm. So Alan, desperate, spells out the word, I love you, letter by letter on Miss Gose's palm. Immediately. She responded, Oh, you love me? That's so sweet. Thank you. From death, there was life. It wasn't even a conversation, he told the New York Times. It's just that one exchange alerted me to the fact that she was not damaged to such an extent that it was beyond her ability to recover. Because he showed her agape love, there was hope. She recovered, she was blind. But she made it back to life. One thing he said that, that made me share this with you was that they told me there was a very small chance about her getting her sight back. But if there's a chance, then I'll believe in it. And if I believe in it, I'll have hope in it. <coughs> the end of all this, to me, is hope. There is no such thing as agape love that doesn't lead us to hope. It may be love for its own sake, but there's a way in which participating in this act of triune love that created the universe, this act of agape love which sends God's own self into the world, that this love does have something in it for us selfish humans. There's hope. There's a chance to never let go of whether it's the girlfriend is badly injured or the life we'd like to lead or the family that we think just doesn't get it. And so we initiate these acts of hope. We do as the writer in the epistle says, we love because God first loved us. And that gives us One of my favorite writers is Frederick Beekner. He has a story about a strange little man named Leo Beb. And at one point, he gives a speech at Gertrude Conover's Renovac in Princeton, New Jersey. And thinking about this John 13 passage, he talks about love. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a great feast. That's the way of it. The kingdom of heaven is a love feast where nobody's a stranger. Like right here. There's strangers everywhere else you can think of. There's strangers were born out of the same womb. There's strangers was raised together in the same town and worked side by side all their life through. There's strangers got married and been climbing in and out of the same four-poster together for 35 or 40 years, and they're strangers still. And Jesus, it's like most of the time, he's a stranger too. Even when he's near as the end of your nose, people make like he's nowhere around. They won't talk to him. They won't listen to him. They keep their eye on the ground. But here in this place, there's no strangers. And Jesus, he isn't a stranger either. The kingdom of heaven's like this. He continued. We all got secrets. I got them, same as everybody else. Things we feel bad about and wish hadn't ever happened. Hurtful things. We're all scared and lonesome, but most of the time we keep it hid. Like every one of us has lost his way so bad, we don't even know which way is home anymore, only we're ashamed to ask. You know what would happen if we would own up, we're lost, and ask? Why, what would happen is we'd find out home is each other. we find out home is Jesus loves us, lost or found. Or any which way. Agape love, this new commandment that Jesus gives us today, is not easy to understand. It's not easy to perform. It won't give us much in the way of returns on dividends. It does provide hope. And when we hope in the God in the universe, we hope in this kingdom of God we proclaim when we hope in this justice that's our passion, when we hope we believe that God can change the world around. And then we find others in which people who share that hope. And that to me, finding you all, finding friends and family of the faith who share that hope, that to me is like finding home. So may you in this church, family, with the friendships you make, whatever kind of love you give or call it, may you be people who create a sense of home. May we together in this big house of ours find the saving love of our risen Lord. Thanks be to God, and amen. Amen.